book of John, or you could say the gospel according to St. John, praise God, chapter 15, and we'll have to be expeditious tonight, 742 on the back wall, and get into some things that will further us along the lines of prayer. If you're uh, for our visitors and uh, for those that maybe have not been coming or keeping up with us on Wednesday night, uh, we had a prayer time. We have two, uh, when we can work it in the church calendar, uh, two hours of prayer a month on Sunday afternoons. And in one of those recent prayer times, we had someone yield to a gift of the Spirit called diverse kinds of tongues or different kinds of tongues. And there's an interpretation that goes with that. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Is where those gifts are outlined. And so I think it was Sister Joy that spoke out in other tongues and God gave me the interpretation. And it was the Lord instructing me personally and all who were sitting there about the need in this church to get more people praying than we do currently have. And uh, for our mindset and our heart and our attitude, sort of a cultural shift is the way I took it, that he said bring prayer to the forefront. And, and he said to me, the pastor, get it into the people that prayer must come to the forefront of who we are, what we value, and what we do. Amen. And, uh, you know, there are many, many biblical and spiritual reasons that back, back up that needing to be the case. Jesus said, my house shall be called a what? House a house of prayer. In other words, he, as much preaching and teaching as we do, and that's right and good. And they did that in the synagogue. That's, it's right to do. Notice the earmark of the church, the cultural uh, definition, the, the mark of the church in the mind of God is that the house of God is to be a house of prayer, that prayer is to be a dominant force and value and activity. And uh, every single member of the church, everyone called into fellowship into any local body has a supply to bring to prayer and God expects it. God expects us to be faithful to bring our supply of prayer to the plan of God that He has for the body that we're assigned to. Amen. Amen. And uh, Rex and I were talking about this recently. He's super big into cars, uh, fast cars, you know. And, uh, you know, he was just, uh, you know, making analogies and thinking of illustrations. And uh, he said, Dad, is is it right to say that... uh, uh, you know that faith is our engine. Uh, how did he say it? Basically, prayer is the gas that goes in the engine. Yeah, Amen. Amen. And, you know, the, the assignment, the activity of a ministry, if there's no fuel of prayer backing that activity, it's going to fall well short of God's intended aim. Amen. Glory to God. We cannot be effective as a spiritual body advancing the cause of the kingdom by natural means alone. We just cannot. You know, if we just had another program, if we just had this outreach, if we just, if we just worked a little harder, if we, you know, served a little better, that that alone is going to fully advance a spiritual kingdom, a spiritual cause. No, it won't. The natural things we do are vitally important. Amen. But there is absolutely no substitute at all to the supply of prayer that is necessary. Amen. Amen. And uh, this is true corporately. God is applying this to us corporately. But it's true for you all individually. None of us 
we'll reach our God-ordained end without a sufficient, effective supply of prayer being brought to our family. Amen. Amen. To our life individually. Amen. And to a large degree, the outcome of our life will be determined by our effectiveness in prayer. Now, I don't know if you believe that. Do our actions, does our current prayer life testify that we believe that? That's how you would really measure it. But let, let let me back that up. The outcome of your life, from heaven's perspective, from God's perspective, is going to be greatly impacted by your effectiveness or lack thereof in prayer. Now, what do I mean? Well... You're going to miss the whole point of your entire existence like we were alluding to a moment ago if you neglect your fellowship with God. And there are only two ways that you engage in fellowship with God. You fellowship with God through God the Word. God is the Word. God is the written Word. He is the Logos of God. Jesus is the Word. When you read the Word, meditate on the Word, speak the Word, you are fellowshipping with God. But the only other way you fellowship with God is by talking to Him, listening to Him. We call that prayer. What is prayer? Prayer is talking to and listening to, hearing from God. So you're going to miss the entire point of your life if you miss fellowship with God. And prayer is 50% of that deal. Here's, here's another way to, to substantiate what I, what I, the assertion that I had made. You and I are not going, we might, we, we might likely have a tragedy happen, uh, make a wrong turn, end up in the wrong place in life, if we don't hear from God. If we are not sufficiently led by God. Very few Christians you know, know very much have any real accuracy in being led by God day to day much less even just the landmark decisions of life. Amen. And there is a God-ordained end out there ahead of us for all of us, and it's going to take our hearing from God, being led by Him to get to that place. Not getting on the wrong airplane. That's attached to your prayer life. Here's another thing you have to learn about prayer. That if we, if we don't pray and bring a spiritual supply to prayer, there will just be a lot that God wanted to happen in your life that won't happen. Amen. Brother Hagin said it this way. The good things that are not happening in your life and the bad things that are happening in your life are a result of your not having prayed yesterday. Right? The good things that should be happening in our lives but aren't. Many Christian lives. They aren't. Why aren't they? The neglect of prayer yesterday. And the bad things that are happening in our lives sometimes. Amen. Are happening because of a failure to pray in yesterday. Amen. Here is another way to think about the outcome of my life depends very much on my prayer life. Your ability to go before God with His promises and obtain those promises in prayer by faith to receive healing, 
to receive protection, right? To receive finances, to receive the things that you need from God, the promises of God. You do that by an execution of prayer. It's called the prayer of faith, right? The prayer of petition. If you don't know how to do that, then the outcome of your, you're going to go without. I'm going to go without. And that impacts the quality of my life, right? So with these facts laid out, one of the most important skills you could ever acquire as a human being is the skill of praying effectively. Learning to pray and receive from God. Learning to pray and hear and be led by God is more important than being educated at school. More important. Not to diminish natural education. But learning to pray effectively, to get a hold of God, to get answers from God yourself. Not through granny who prays. Not just through pastor who prays. But yourself. And that you've learned how to be led by God, to hear from God, and you can navigate these dangerous waters of the last days with great confidence because you have a prayer life that is effective. There is no greater skill I could think of. But how many people are so, Christians in the church, anti-anything related to prayer? (laughs) We've got to renew our mind. We've got to get a change of attitude. Amen. I tell you what, there's nothing more thrilling, nothing more adventurous to begin to see fruit out of your own personal prayer life. Nothing more exciting. Amen. To hear from God, you act on what you heard and it worked out right. Oh, I'm telling you. Thrilling, thrilling, thrilling. Or you're used of God to pray for someone else. And their life is spared. Their situation is turned. That whole thing changed differently. It, it, it went out differently. It went good instead of bad. Because prayer was brought. Woo! Come on. Amen. Glory to God. How about, you know, just, just tangent Debts that get paid off. Bills that get paid. Because you prayed. And you received. And it came to pass. Right? Is there anything in you that's interested in becoming effective in praying? Maybe that's why many Christians don't pray very much. It's because they don't ever see any fruit. That for them it's just a dry, dead religious exercise. And they just, any prayer that they bring, they do it out of Guilt almost or religious obligation because they know they should. Amen. And then a lot of people, you know, people who don't believe in God, they will have times in their life where they pray. I've seen it. I see it all the time. You see it in Hollywood. You know, they get into some, they're atheists until stage four cancer shows up. And then that, that person's praying now. And they'll take all the prayer they can get. But they don't know how to pray effectively. Amen. You know, one of the greatest, the biggest, sacred cows out there, not just among Christians, but just people, is that God hears all prayer. You know He doesn't. How many of y'all ever thought that God hears all prayer? How many of you heard that? You saw it on a, you saw it on a Hallmark card or something, you know, somebody in a 
in a movie like Morgan Freeman in Deep Impact when he, the, the meteor's about to destroy everybody and you know, he's saying, whatever God you serve, you know, we take comfort in this. Basically, you know, the God, hear, God answers all prayer. He hears all prayer, even if sometimes the answer's no. That sounds very religious, right? Yeah, exactly. Right? That is not scriptural. Come on. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Now, I'll, we'll get there. If you, that scripture's in 1 John chapter 5. First John, we're in John 15, but in 1 John chapter 5. Amen. It talks about if... We pray anything according to His will, we know He hears us. Amen. See, if we don't pray something according to His will, He doesn't even hear it. Hello. We just got to shake off all this religious stuff that we've learned. Learn how to pray effectively. Amen. So quickly, I want to give you five keys to praying effectively. Because... You know, if we're going to recruit you, God said recruit you to the prayer effort in the church. Well, I want you, I don't want you just praying. I want you to pray effectively. Amen. 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 And so your personal life is going to get the benefit from this, but I'm I'm counting on a benefit for the church. (laughs) Uh, And I want you to benefit too. John chapter 15, the whole chapter is wonderful. We don't have time to read it all. Uh, Amen. Uh, But look at verse 5. It says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him the same brings forth, what? Much fruit. For without me, how much can you do? Nothing. Nothing. A lot of people need to meditate on that and come to terms with that. Without me, Jesus said, you can't do anything. Not anything worthwhile. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask whatever you will and it will be done unto you or for you. In this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Amen. Now, prayer is not the only way we bear fruit in our Christian life. When we walk in love towards someone, that's a fruit of the Spirit. That's fruit. But in this context, in this verse, what kind of fruit is he after? What kind of fruit is he talking about? Prayer fruit. And our Father is not glorified when prayers are uttered that go unanswered. Ineffective prayer Wasted prayer, amen, that does not glorify our Father. And it doesn't constitute prayer, I mean, or fruit. Amen. But our Father is glorified when we bear much fruit in prayer. He wants fruit, do you see it? He wants and expects fruit out of our prayer life. Amen. And the fruit would be tangible things... That you and I could point to and say, see that prayer? That prayer produced this. See that prayer? That came to pass. See this prayer? I was healed. God did it. I'm not taking the glory for it. But I prayed and was effective and healing was the result. 
I prayed. I got an instruction from God. I followed the instruction and it, it was positive. It was right. So what answer to prayer can you point to in the last month or two or three? Don't be condemned, but I'm just saying Jesus expects fruit out of you. He expects prayer fruit to come out of you. And he's told us exactly how to do it. Hasn't he? Number one, he said, you better maintain a living, intimate, constant relationship and connection with me. Because apart from me, you can't do anything. You can't do anything. Amen. And this is, this is one, it's so basic, we stumble over the simplicity of it. But many people are hindered in their prayer life because they put everything about living like as a Christian ahead of what Christians are meant to be. And that is a son or a daughter to God and that we have fellowship with God. Amen. This is the whole thing. Jesus said the first thing is abide in me. Abide in me. In other words, know me. Talk to me. Connect with me. Stay connected to me. You can't do that and only read your Bible when the pastor says, open your Bible on Sunday morning. You can't do that if you talk to everyone else during the week but him. You may be going to heaven. He may be your Savior, but you are a broken off branch. You are a withered branch. Your fellowship with God has to be strong. Now, I was saving this little nugget for my faith teaching, but one of the greatest sources of weak faith is weak fellowship. People who have weak faith have weak fellowship. Their fellowship with God is weak. If you have weak fellowship, you will have weak faith. Because you cannot have a strong, unwavering faith in the face of the fire of pressure and circumstances when you don't know the one that you're supposedly trusting in. Right? To know God is to have faith in Him. Because everything about Him engenders faith because he's such he's so awesome he's so powerful he's batting a thousand i mean he's never failed he's never lost a battle he's never arm wrestled anybody and lost you know what i mean i mean he's just mr no disrespect el perfecto amen to know him at all is to go, oh, I'm going to let you have that. Yeah, I'm not going to worry about that. You want it? Thank you, Father. I give you that problem. Your muscle's bigger. Your reach is bigger than me. You know, glory. And then you, you get, you're, you're getting to know him. And you find out how much he loves you. And how intense his commitment is to you. And how, how radical he is. He will not break his promise. It engenders faith. But people who just go to church... And say amen. And they're really living off the coattails of someone else's walk with God. Faith is a walk with God. If you want strong faith, faith to move mountains, the foundation of it, the, the wellspring of it, comes from actually 
knowing Him. Prayer is a huge thing in that. Amen. Are you with me? Hallelujah. So, oh glory, the first key. Now I'm just going to have to give you the highlights or just cover one or two and then we'll come back or however the Lord wants to do this because we don't want the cake to get dry. Amen. So key number one is establish yourself in righteousness. This is a key to effective praying. We will be ineffective in prayer if we come to God in prayer with a sense of unworthiness. If we have this air about us that you live guilty, you live under a cloud of condemnation, you're still in that old religious rut that you're a Christian, you love Jesus with all your heart, but religion has taught you that you're still a sinner. Do you know that if you're born again, genuinely born again, you are not a sinner? You're not. You should not call yourself a sinner. You should not think yourself a sinner. You have the gift of righteousness. You have received imputed righteousness. You didn't earn it. It's not yours. But He has given it to you. In His eyes, you are right with Him through your faith in Jesus. (laughs) Amen. I am justified not by the works of the law, but by my faith in Him. Because for everything, every, every time, past, present, and future, that I fall short, Jesus' price, His redemption, His blood, His sacrifice, pays for all of that. So God is able to pardon all my sin and yours, all my faults and yours, all my shortcomings and yours, and he looks at us as if we've never sinned. And an effective prayer knows this. Someone who is effective in prayer does not come before the Father whining about how unworthy they are. Groveling. They don't approach the throne begging, crawling, groveling. Father, I'm so unworthy. Could I have a few minutes of your time? I know I'm a worm. My righteousness is with filthy rags. Well, it's not based on your righteousness. Get over your righteousness. You don't have any. But you do have righteousness. You have Jesus' righteousness. It is vitally important if you want to be an effective Christian and prayer, you must renew your mind to the reality, this new reality of who you are in Christ. Amen. 2 Corinthians, just make the reference, write the reference down. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man or woman, any man, any person be in Christ, they are new. They are new. They are a new creation. Amen. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now the J.B. Phillips translation of that verse says it this way. For if a man is in Christ, he becomes a new person altogether. The past is finished and gone. Everything has become fresh and new. Who glory. Hallelujah. Why bring up the past? 
I mean, God has bleach bit deleted it. I mean, he has obliterated it. He has cast it into the sea of forgetfulness. He hasn't covered it up. He hasn't just forgiven it. It is gone. It is gone. And the old man is gone too. You're a brand new creation. Born of God. A few verses later, that was 2 Corinthians 5.17. In verse 21 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we have this verse. For He, God, made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us. That we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Everyone say this. I am the righteousness of God. Let's say it again. I am the righteousness of God. You're going to believe the Bible? Now, see, this being established in this, putting on the new man, the new man in Christ, this this impacts tremendously your approach to the Father. You know, I would wonder about any of my children that came to me, approached me with, I don't deserve to be a Cody. I'm not even sure I am a Cody. I know I've messed up so many times, Daddy. But I really would like a drink of milk. Could I have a drink of milk, Dad? I know I'm not worthy. That would be odd. We, we would wonder about them. Right? God wonders about us. We're His children. And yet think about how many Christians, how they approach Him. And He's sitting there on His throne. Yes, and He's God. Oh my gosh, yes, He's God. But He's a Father. He's your Father. And He's wondering, what's the deal? Are you my son? Are you my daughter or not? Right? But when... And see, this is going to take time. Now, I'm not saying just don't pray, but I'm saying... Take the necessary time that you need. Get into the bookstore, right? Pull these scriptures out and meditate on them. Confess them over yourself. Build a righteous consciousness into yourself until you get rid of that unworthy, guilty, condemned attitude and mindset. Because when you approach God knowing that you're just as right with God him as Jesus is right with him it's going to make you bolder it's going to make you more confident when you go before him to make your request and you're not praying in your own name you're praying in Jesus name and it's as if Jesus himself requested it of the father God takes it that serious that's why you want to take the name of Jesus to prayer with you Amen. Amen. Let me make another reference. Maybe they could put it on the screen. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 tells us how a Christian should come to God in prayer. So he says, let us then fearlessly and confidently and boldly draw near. So from this day forward, you should not come before God unless you come fearlessly confidently 
boldly. That's how he tells you to draw near. We say, Pastor, what if I need to draw near? Because I messed up royally. You go before him. I didn't say with arrogance or pride. I didn't say that. But you go fearlessly, knowing you fouled up. You sinned against God. But you go before him without fear. With confidence and boldness, knowing that as I am honest before God and I confess my sin, this verse tells us what's going to happen. So let me let God answer it. So come, come this way, fearlessly, confidently, boldly, to draw near to the throne of grace, the throne of God's unmerited favor. I don't know why the Amplified put to us sinners in there. Now we do sin. But our standing with God is based on the righteousness that He made us. Now notice, we come this way to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy for our failures. So in this context, he's talking about coming before God because we failed, but he still wants us to come fearlessly and confidently and boldly so that we can receive grace to help in good time for every need, appropriate help, well-timed help, coming just when we need it. Amen. Then over in Hebrews chapter 10, Write this reference down. Verses 19 through 22. Uh, Hebrews talks a lot about our approach to God. And so it says in this passage, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest. Now before the new covenant, no one, no one could go in except the high priest and him only once a year and, and Get this, he did not go in boldly. He went in with fearful trepidation. They tied, read the Bible, they tied a rope around his ankle. Because there's no instruction that I know of that the Bible says, now when he goes in, be sure to tie a rope around because he falls dead. They They did this because of precedent and history. People go in behind the veil in the Old Covenant. And they never came out. And they got a rotting corpse in the Holy of Holies. I don't know what they did. They, pulled a, they put a hook in and pulled the guy out. But eventually they said, we love you. We have confidence in you. But we're going to tie a rope on you in case you don't come out. No one under the old covenant went in boldly. But in the new covenant, where, where the price has been paid, come on. Where the blood has been shed and redemption has been purchased. The instruction to all of us is having boldness to enter in, even the holiest, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He consecrated for us through the veil, that is, His flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, having, right now tonight, you have a high priest over the house of God, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart. In full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This is the effect of being born again. Knowing I'm coming in, not on my own merit. I'm coming in, if I have anything on my mouth that I want to have as I go in, other than praise and thanksgiving, is the blood, the blood, the blood, the blood, the blood, the blood, the blood. Thank God. Father, I come into your presence because of the blood. The blood has made a way. 
We talk much of the blood. The blood has purchased our entrance. But notice the instruction here, Hebrews 10, 22, is don't come before Him with a sense of an evil sin conscious. <laughs> no, you should let the blood, the revelation about the blood, wash that thinking away so that you can come into His presence as a son would to his father as a daughter would to her father and enjoy relationship you know jesus died on the cross so you could be normal in god's presence and have relationship with him that's why he died it is the premier paramount reason why he died so the number one key we'll try to get two of these in tonight the number one key is and it's not number one because it's elevated over the S, just the first one, is establish yourself in righteousness. Root yourself in the knowledge of who you are in Christ. And I'm not preaching really on that, so you may have to get in there and do some study. Amen. Over 133 times, over 130 times in the New Testament, the Scriptures use phrases like in Christ or in whom, referring to Jesus, or in Him. And all those verses that say in Christ, or in whom, or in Him, they tell you, those verses tell you who you are in Him, what you have because you're in Him, and what you can do because you're in Him. And there's 130 of them. And thank God for the age we live in. These preachers have already taken the time, pulled them all out, put them in a little... Do we have the little mini book in Him? In there, little blue one, white one. Anyway, you could just Google it. In Christ, scriptures of the New Testament. And the work's been done. There's no excuse. And pull those out and begin to let that revelation wash over your mind and discover who you, this is who I am. This is me. Right? It'll change your prayer life. Amen. The second key may sound at first like an exact contradiction to what I just said. But it's not. The second key to an effective prayer life is to maintain a right heart toward God and a clear conscience. Well, I thought I was right. You are. You are the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God revelation describes your legal standing with the Father. Does that make sense? Your legal standing. You have a legal right to stand in the Father's presence as if sin was not an issue. What the righteousness of God has done for you, it it has created and birthed and, well, what it's done, it is it created a relationship between you and God. God is now your Father and you are now His child. Now, that will never change except under extreme circumstances. Right? Rare circumstances. Hallelujah. But could you be in a relationship with God and have broken fellowship with God? So see, it is possible to have legal standing but broken fellowship. My daughter Faith is here. Faith has a relationship with me. She was born into that relationship. The birth created 
the relationship. She is my daughter and I am her dad. That's not going to change. It's not, it's not based on good works or bad works. It's not going to change. Right? My love for her is not going to change. But if faith were to sin against me, she's, that doesn't change our relationship. She still has standing with me. But our fellowship is broken. Right? Now, if she sinned pretty, let's say, really hurt me. Maybe she didn't even mean to, but she did. Just hypothetical, okay? Her standing with me is, I'm still her dad, she's still my daughter. Always will be. That doesn't change. But if she has a request she wants to make. She wants to see if I'll make the Jeep payment for her this month. Just hypothetical, just talking. How can't... Is the, the, if the sin remains, the, the, and she comes before me with a request, prayer, <laughs> but while trying to ignore the current status of our broken fellowship, her confidence to come before me in faith will be hindered. Does that make sense? What should she do? It's right to come to me. Repair the fellowship. Fix the fellowship. Many Christians, they they are the righteousness of God. They have legal standing with the Father. But they've sinned against Him. And their fellowship with Him is broken. And yet they want to go to Him. Or this is, I found, what a lot of people live like that. What they love to do is to get others... To go to God for them. These are the biggest pastor pray for me. People. Because they believe me or you, whoever they're asking. They have good fellowship with God. Be my ambassador and my emissary and get this thing for me. But that's not going to fly forever. So this is huge. If you want to be effective in your prayer life, maintain a right heart toward God and maintain a clean, unviolated, untarnished conscience toward God. Now, how do you do that? Because we all make mistakes. (laughs) Well, we just have to practice humility and go before God boldly and say, Abba, I have come. And I could I talk to you? Yes. Been waiting for you to come. Abba, I messed up. I know you did. I was there. I watched you do it. Why did you do that? Whatever he's going to say to you. Amen. Say, Father, I just count that as a sin to you. I knew better. I yielded to my flesh. I just decided I wasn't going to do it right then. And I sinned against you and I'm sorry. I I call it sin. And I confess it to you as sin. And I ask you to forgive me. Well, I forgive you, son. Just be forgiven. The blood cleanses. That's 1 John 1, 9. The blood just cleanses you. And now see, 
you've cleared the air. We all make mistakes, but we don't try to la 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 act as if we don't. And our fellowship with God becomes hindered. And our prayers become less effective. Because effective prayer requires confidence toward God. And if I've sinned against Him, my own heart will condemn me. So let's close uh, in 1 John chapter 5. I, I made mention of that earlier. Actually, it's 1 John chapter 3, I believe. So that's way back in the deep part of your New Testament, if you're new to your Bible. You have Revelation as the last book. And uh, so 1, 2, and 3 John are right there close. So 1 John chapter 3. Y'all getting anything out of this tonight? Hallelujah. Very basic, but uh, they're fundamental to an effective prayer life and a, and a walk with God. You know, it's so, it's so funny, us humans, we just think, well, I'm not, I'm not going to him. I, I, I'm not. As if he didn't see. As if, if you don't go to him and talk to him about it, he won't know. He's too busy. He forgot. It's God we're talking about here. There's no fooling him. There's no pulling the wool over his eyes. There's no escaping his attention. The humble thing, the smart thing, is to just get it over with quick. And if you get tired of having to do that, stop sinning. Right? Just stop doing it. Some people come to me, I said, Pastor, I just, I know I've worn out God and I'm just worn out. I'm just, you know, I know I just feel like I'm going to go to him and confess this again. I don't have any confidence and I'm not going to do it. I'm like, stop sinning. Right. <laughs> Amen. Uh, hallelujah. First John chapter three. And uh, let's see. Uh, verse number 18. John says, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed in truth and hereby. Or I would say, here's how you know, right? Uh, Hereby we know that we are of the truth, and get this, and shall assure our hearts before Him. So there's something we can do that will give our heart confidence as we go to Him. We're going to find out what that is. Amen? And uh, so praise God. He goes on and says, for if, now notice the phrase, our heart condemn us. If our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and He knows all things. That's what I said. You're not hiding anything from Him. Then He says, uh, praise God, Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. So here's the thing. How do we assure our own hearts before God? Well, you, you know if you messed up or not. Can you go into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of a perfect being who knows everything? He was there Friday night. He was there, right? Can you go into His presence and your heart not condemn you? The only way... You can go into God's presence and your heart not condemn you if you did something wrong is you don't know it was wrong. <laughs> and that's possible. But see, then your heart wouldn't condemn you. So here's the thing. 
You should not try to get something from God if your heart condemns you. Now notice, it's not the Holy Ghost even that's condemning you. It's not Jesus that's condemning you. Romans 8 said, why would He condemn you? He died for you. But notice, even though Jesus might not be condemning us, and the Father's not condemning us, and the Holy Ghost is not condemning us, guess who is? Our own spirit will condemn us. And that condemnation in our own heart, that conviction in our own heart, will rob us of confidence before God. That's faith. Faith is confidence. That'll hinder your prayer life. So how do you go from having a condemned heart to an uncondemned heart that's confident before God? There's only one way. Say you're sorry. Tell Him. Own up to it. Join the club. Join the repentance club. Amen. Join the ain't nobody perfect club. 1 John 1, 9 says, If any will confess, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If we've confessed what we know and He's cleansed us of all unrighteousness, then we're just righteous, righteous, righteous. Our heart is confidence and we can go before God. Amen. Amen. Let's finish it. Verse 22 will we'll tie up a loose end that I left way earlier in the message. And whatsoever we ask, get that, whatsoever we ask. This is a form of prayer. Whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him. Because we keep His commandments and we do those things that are right in His sight. See, we can go before Him and we have confidence. Before God, because To the best of our knowledge and ability, we are doing those things that are right in His sight. And when we don't, we repair it through confession and forgiveness. Is that right? Amen. Amen. Let me just quote this. I, I like how the psalmist David said it in his own way. Back in the Old Testament in Psalm 24. Verse 3 and 5, and then we're done. David said, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in His holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. See, I like the poetic language of the psalmist. What does it mean to ascend into God's holy hill? Who can go up into where God is? Who can go up there? Right? And what did it say? Who can stand in His holy place? Who can? You have to have clean hands. And you have to have pure heart. That's it. That's the only way. Amen. The same one who has not lifted up his soul to an idol or sworn deceitfully. Notice verse 5 says, He shall receive the blessing of the Lord. He shall receive blessing from the Lord. So if you you live your life in such a way that you, you can go before God, none of us could without the gift of righteousness. But then having that, we also have to have unbroken fellowship. And through fresh, if needed, daily application of the blood of Jesus, 
Amen. And learning to live right. Can I just say it plain? Yes. You want to have an effective prayer life? You're going to have to learn to live clean. You're going to have to learn that whether your prayers are heard and answered and effective, it, it, it's do you live clean? Do you have clean hands? Do you have a pure heart? And if not, you need to get that before you try to ascend into the holy place. <laughs> And we have such advantage in the new covenant. David was living under the old. He'd have to go kill a cow or something. Shed blood, go to the temple, and do that every time he sinned. Think about that. Go buy a dove, buy a goat, go to the thing, shed blood, say you're sorry. But see, Jesus once and for all shed his superior blood. Put it on the mercy seat, and it just covers everything. But just like every time, we don't have to actually kill an animal. But we have to make mention of the blood. We have to do fresh application of the blood. Every time that we're made aware of something that we did that displeased the Father. And by doing that, we maintain a heart. A, a, a connection with God that is pure and right. It's not without flaw. It's not without mistake. You'll make many. But see, you're humble before God and you say, oh, I missed it again, Father. So sorry. You get it? All right. Praise God. Well, I'm going to pray real quick and hope you got something out of that. And got to come back for three more keys. Uh, Amen. We just kind of scratched the surface of that whole thing. Father, we love you tonight.